you're listening to Connect Communities Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. If you'd like to know more about our community, stop by our website at www.connectcommunity.tv. Enjoy the message. I want to read a passage um, in Luke chapter 17. So if you brought your Bible this morning, or if you have a shiny little phone that has, you know, the Bible app, you're welcome to open that up, or you can follow on the screens. We're going to read that, and then we will pray. Um, most of you have heard of this before. Um, it is a very famous parable, um, and it's the parable of the lepers, and it's found in Luke 17, verse 11 through 19, and it says, Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go, show yourselves to the priests. As they, and as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned? Has no one returned to give praise to God except for this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, that we get to be here this morning, that we get to hear from your word, and it is your word that produces change in our hearts, God. It is your word that is able to heal and uh, to bring life in dead areas, God. And so I thank you that this morning you are awakening our souls and our spirits, God. You're awakening us to you and to what you want to do in our lives. And I thank you this morning that not a single person has entered this place for no reason. It's not a coincidence. You work, Father, in any open heart, in any willing heart. And so this morning we give you our hearts opened, surrendered, and wanting to hear from you. As we sang earlier, God, we need you, and we need your word, and we need your life, and we need you at work in our lives, God. And so I just pray this morning that you would work within us and produce change within our hearts, God. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I, this passage has always intrigued me. I've always found it funny. It's always left me with a lot of questions. Um, like, where did the nine go? <laughs> like, why did only one come back? Where did the other nine go? Well, what did they find was so important to do first? I always thought, well, why did Jesus point out the foreigner? Like, why did you have to call him a Samaritan? Like, you know, why point him out? It's always like, I've always had questions, and it finally at some point dawned on me that maybe, right, this is speculation, maybe the other nine the other nine that didn't return to say thank you, maybe they felt entitled. As if, like, becoming a leper was something God had done to them. Like, you know, it was a wrong that was being made right. Like, how could I have become a leper? I deserve better. I should have been treated better. It's as if God had a, was only fixing what he had already done that was wrong. And it's interesting to me, that Jesus points out the foreigner because this foreigner, the Samaritan guy, was the outcasts of outcasts. 
it's like it's it's as if it wasn't enough for him to be a Samaritan which was already an outcast, which was already he didn't belong. But now he's also a leper, which if most of you have probably heard this before, but lepers were like excluded from everybody. They couldn't live in community with anyone. They were the smell, the rotting flesh, everything that it pertained to that disease made them re really have to live outside of community, right? They, they had to be, they were outcasts. And so Jesus points out that this guy, this guy is a Samaritan too. So he's a foreigner. And it's interesting to me because I thought about this. I was like, okay, so why, what did this guy feel like? What did the Samaritan guy feel like, right? And I thought maybe the reason Jesus pointed him out was because as a foreigner, he didn't expect Jesus to heal him. There was no expectation because he didn't belong. He didn't belong even to the lepers he didn't belong. He was, he was the outcast. And so he understood that, you know what, Jesus doesn't have to do anything for me. This is entirely grace and this is entirely mercy. This is, it's like he was fully aware of the grace that had just been extended to him. It's like he understood that, you know what, I don't deserve this. And his only response then was to go back and say thank you. His only response was then to, to, to say, I have to do something about this. I have to say thank you because I know, I know I don't deserve it. I don't know, have you ever been in his place? Have you ever been in, in, in a situation where you were extended grace and you really didn't deserve it? Have you ever felt that feeling of being entirely overwhelmed by what just happened? Like you know that was none of your doing. That like you didn't belong. You didn't deserve it. It was totally over and abundant what you could even have asked for. Have you ever been there? Have you ever felt almost a little uncomfortable with how much grace was extended your way? See, I think that sometimes... If we're being honest, we neglect to say thank you because we feel somehow we are entitled to whatever was given to us. We feel entitled to the grace that was, the grace that was shown. It's as if, you know, I'm good. I'm a good person. I do most things right. I try to live, you know, a kind life. I try to be nice to people. I try. And so because I try and because I'm not like those people over there, you know, I'm basically a saint. And so I'm good enough. I should be getting good stuff. I should be receiving the grace of God. I should be. I should. I mean, can we, can we be real for a minute? Don't we sometimes act as though God owes us? Right? I mean, I deserve better. It's not fair that everybody else gets it. I should be getting it too. Don't we sometimes, I know it sounds a little bit crass to kind of say God owes me. But if we're being honest and if we look inside our hearts and how we feel, oftentimes we feel that way. We get disappointed at God because he didn't do what you asked him to do. You believed you, you did everything you knew how to do and you get disappointed that he didn't show up the way you thought he should show up or the way he should have answered your prayer and he didn't do what he asked for. And we get disappointed at the sovereignty of God because we 
thought he was going to do it our way. And we almost feel a little bit inside entitled to the thing that we asked for because we're children of God. And I want to point out something to you that the Apostle Paul wrote in the letter of Romans. And you find it in Romans 3. And Paul, I think, aware of a lot of this that goes on in our hearts. He writes this in Romans 3, verse 10 through 12. As it is written, there is no one righteous. Not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good. Not even one. Not even one. None of us measure up. None of us measure up to the standard. None of us, um, all of us fall short. We all have broken the law. None of us are the standard of righteousness. See, Jeremiah also points this out. He says the heart, in Jeremiah 17:9, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? So it's like they place us in our, they put us in our place, right? We're not naturally good. I mean, left to our own devices, the, the reality is we're selfish and we're deceitful in many ways and our heart even deceives us. But God, God is so loving and so kind that he didn't let us stay there. He didn't leave us dead. He didn't leave us hopeless. He didn't leave us clueless. He didn't leave us without cure. It says again, Paul writes in Ephesians Two, that but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. I'm going to pause there for a minute. Can I note that God made us alive in Christ even while we were still dead? What does that mean? Well, it means that as we were stabbing him in the back, as we were saying, I don't need you, I don't want you, as we were separated from God in, I don't want anything to do with you, he still made a way for us. This is not like you loving someone and dying for someone who loves you back, right? No, this is you loving someone and giving your most loved son yeah, your beloved son, which sometimes we put even higher than our own selves. I mean, for parents in the room who have children, you know what this is like to try to offer your child as a sacrifice. No, take me. I won't give my child, right? This is giving your beloved son for someone who may never acknowledge you. This is the kind of love. I mean, sit on that for a minute. The kind of love that offers his, his most beloved son for someone else who may never, ever look at him or pay attention to him, or give his life to him, or have any kind of relationship with him. This is the kind of love God gave for us. Now we continue on that. Christ, uh, even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by, by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that we, in order that in the coming ages, he might show the uncomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And it is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Now this has nothing to do with how good you've been or how bad you've been. Because the Bible even tells us that your greatest works are like filthy rags. 
yet your worst sin does not disqualify you. So it has nothing to do with how good or how bad, how much you have done or haven't done. It is not behavior driven. This is grace. This is God. Right? This is God extending his heart out to humanity. This is God. Now with that in mind, with the grace that has been extended to you while you didn't deserve it, can I ask you again this morning, what does God owe you? What do you deserve? I want to read another story to you. It's found in Luke 7. And so most of, maybe, I think many of you might have heard it before as well. But this is a story that happened to Jesus. It's found in Luke 7, and it's a few verses, so follow along with me. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman that the town a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed, the, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to him, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is. That she is a sinner. Number one, he's insulting Jesus. Just saying. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had money to pay him back. So he gave the debt so he forgave the death of both of them. Which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said, Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. She, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil in my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whom has been forgiven little, loves little. You know, I love this woman. I love this woman because she understood gratitude. I love this woman because... She understood who she was and what had been the grace that had been extended to her. See, the Pharisee saw himself as superior. He saw himself as somebody who didn't need the Savior. He saw himself as someone who didn't need to, to, to bow down to this man who was before him. He didn't recognize who Jesus was and his need of a Savior. But the woman, the woman knew she, she didn't belong there. She knew that she needed a savior. She knew what, that this man that was in front of her was restoring her life and her soul and was changing things. She understood that grace had ran into her like a, like a tsunami. She got it. She understood her need and that he, she didn't deserve anything. 
Not she didn't have a pedigree or she didn't have all the, the uh, you know, things that the Pharisees would, would think would qualify them or would entitle them to anything. She understood she didn't belong. It's as if she felt the weight of grace. And she, her only response, her only response was to worship God and was to, to be grateful for what had happened. See, I don't know about you. I don't know what your story is, but I do know mine. And I know that my mother got pregnant of me when, I, when she was 17 years old. And I know that she was pressured to abort and to end that pregnancy, yet she felt God and said, I will not. I know. I know that when I was six years old, I was hit by a car and I could have been paralyzed or anything in between or dead to the least. I could have been gone. Yet the grace of God. I know that I made so many poor decisions in my teenage years that I could have been dead, addicted, or whatever, a number of things. But God, I know that I had two babies in my belly, that was a high, high-risk pregnancy, that they could have been gone at any moment, that threatened all three of our lives. But God, I know that a couple of years back, I ended up in the hospital with a bilateral kidney infection that could have been in my bloodstream and could have taken my life before I even got to the hospital. But God, I know that my parents were born in a poor town in Brazil. Were born in a poor town in Brazil. And the fact that I'm in the United States right now here in Stanford, Connecticut, part of this church, building the kingdom of God is by the grace of God. I know. Now, I can call these things coincidences. And I can say that, you know, uh, maybe just a train or the line or decisions or, but I know better. I know better. James says, James 1, 7 says that every good and perfect gift comes from above. If we could understand that if we have anything, it came from the good Father in heaven. Goodness only comes from God. It doesn't come from this earth. It comes from him alone. I know, and I can say for all intents and purposes, I've been good, so I deserve. But I know better. I know better. Because you know what? The wages of sin is death. Romans tells us it's it. The wages of sin is death. So I don't deserve anything. It is by the grace of God. I do not deserve an ounce of what has been given to me. I am not entitled to anything. I'm not entitled to any kind of life. God owes me nothing. Nothing. I know that. And I want to ask you this morning, what does God owe you? What does he really owe you? I want to encourage you this morning. To put on a gratitude filter. To put on your filter of gratitude. To see life in a different light. To look at your life. Take a moment for a minute and look at your life. Close your eyes. Think about it. Look through the filter to the eyes of Jesus. And take a moment and say, God, you have brought me so far. You have brought me so far. You know what? I have a job. Whether that job pays you millions, it is everything you hope for or not, doesn't matter. You have a job. You can put food on the table. 
God, I made it to my 20s, my 30s, my 40s, my 60s, my 70s, my 80s, and 90s in the room? No 90s yet. I made it there. It is by God, by God's grace. Put on your gratitude filter. You have a family. Put on your gratitude filter. You know what? You've been through really tough things. You have, but you're here. You made it here. You're still alive. You're still walking. You can still praise God. You can open your mouth. You can breathe. You're here. Put on the gratitude filter and understand that God didn't owe it to you. It was by grace, the grace extended from heaven to you while you were still dead in your sin. It was extended to you. Understand that everything, every good and perfect gift comes from above. It comes from God in heaven. Friends, you can spend your life focusing on the wrong thing you could spend your life complaining you could spend your life looking at what's wrong looking at what should have or what could have or or you can switch and put on the filter of gratitude and begin to thank God for how far he has brought you and then everything will change the Bible teaches us that we enter his courts with praise and thanksgiving and some of you haven't been in his courts in a long time some of you keep thinking, why can't I have access? Why nothing changes? Why am I trying so hard and nothing has changed? It's because you stay on the outer courts complaining. God is active in your life. He has given you gifts. He has given you something to be grateful for. Maybe you're not where you wished you, you were, but you're not where you used to be. Thank God for that. Thank God that you're not stuck there, that he has moved you forward. This morning, I want to encourage you with this. If you, we wouldn't notice the ladies popping out at you. I hope that, I hope it worked. <laughs> the glasses, can you see her coming at you? It didn't work that well. Oh, well. well. You have the glasses. This is my encouragement to you this morning. Every time you're down, every time you're worried, every time you're, you're tempted to go that route of complaining, Put on these glasses. It's silly. I know you won't see anything in front of you. But put it on and begin to go, you know what? I'm going to shift my perspective. I'm going to shift the way I think. I'm going to look at what you have done. I'm going to look at what you saved me from. I'm going to look at the people that are in my life that are here. And you have so graciously given them to me. You know, there's a study by uh, Dr. Uh, Martin E.P. E. Seligman by the psychologist. The, a psychologist from the University of Pennsylvania, and he's done a study and on 411 people. He did this study, and he tested several interventions, right, several uh, positive psychology interventions, and this is what he found. When their week's assignment was to write and personally deliver a letter of gratitude to someone who had never been properly thanked for his or her kindness, Participants immediately exhibited a huge increase in happiness scores. The impact was greater than from any other intervention with benefits lasting for a month. Some of you are looking for happiness. Can I tell you? Become grateful and you'll find it. Begin to say thank you. Happiness is found in, where, in our ability to be grateful for where we already 
are, where we've already gotten. The Bible tells us this, that we enter his courts with praise and thanksgiving. So as we begin to be grateful for what we have already been given, if we begin to be grateful for the, the things that God has already done in our lives, we begin to enter God's presence. And you know what you find in God's presence? Joy, peace, love, kindness, rest, everything you need. Everything money can't buy. You find it in the presence of God. So let me invite you this morning. Put on your filter. Change the way you view your life. Change the way you have been living. And understand that the next step for you, that the next season of your life will come when you begin to be grateful for where you have gotten. Sometimes we have to go against what culture says. We have to go against what everybody's telling us. We have to go against how we feel. We have to go against all of that to put on these filters and say, you know what? It doesn't look what I thought it would, but thank you anyway. Thank you anyway, God. Thank you that you're at work. Thank you that I know I'm not alone. Thank you that this is temporary. Thank you that your life is alive and active in me. Thank you that I will see better days. See, remind me that I'm not finished yet. God, you are a work in progress. You're not done and where you are right now, it's not forever. It will change. It will move. It will adjust. Things will pass. Everything passes. But a heart that is willing to say thank you when things look right or what they don't, that heart God could do wonders with. That heart, that heart God can take places you've never imagined. So put on gratitude. Put it on against all odds, against what everybody says or what against whatever it looks like. Put it on faithfully every morning. Symbolically put on your glasses and go, I'm going to look at this day the way you've called me to look at it, God. Because I guarantee you that the moment you engage in being grateful, God will begin to do things in your life you've never imagined, you never dreamed of. Amen. Do you receive that? Amen. Let's stand.